Uh, the second lesson is from First Peter, the second chapter, beginning at the fourth verse. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Seems like yesterday, but it was a long time ago, my freshman year of college, I was 17 years old, that was a long time ago, and it was announced on campus and then in the local newspaper of the surrounding town that His Majesty King Olaf V of Norway would soon be coming to visit. The folks in that town, Decorah, Iowa, were thrilled with the news. People went to work right away, preparing for this royal visit from the king himself. You see, Decorah was founded in 1850 by Norwegian pioneers, and Luther College was founded shortly thereafter by those same Norwegian Lutherans who wanted to make sure that they had teachers and pastors for their children and grandchildren. 125 years had gone by, but those Norwegians took their ancestry very seriously, so seriously, in fact, that my wife, Kirsten Bratten, with two A's, as only the Norwegians would need to repeat an A, and her mother, uh, a Trigstad, they took their Scandinavian ancestry so seriously, they weren't sure about you-know-who coming into the family and polluting the gene pool. That's another story. But once the word went out that King Olaf was coming to town, things started to change. A year's worth, at least, of pigeon droppings were removed from the head of the statue of Martin Luther. I know because I had a job on campus, and that was one of my jobs. I got paid $2.10 an hour. I took my time. The mayor placed an article in the local newspaper encouraging everyone to clean up their yards, paint their picket fences, make things ready for the coming of the king. Uh, local hardware stores ran out of paint. Norwegian flags started appearing everywhere. On campus, in front yards and store windows, some of my classmates started hanging Norwegian flags from their dormitory windows. And all my classmates with names like Jensrud, Jensen, Olsen, Larsen, Eriksen started playing the strange music I'd never heard before. And I said, oh, who's that? You've never heard of Edvard Grieg, the great Norwegian composer? I said, well, I guess I'm going to get to know him now. 
And so it was Edward Grieg's music that filled the dorm instead of the usual Eagles, Led Zeppelin, and Bachman Turner overdrive. And all those classmates started talking about their Norwegian ancestry when grandparents and great-grandparents left Norway to come to America. I did a lot of listening. And then they said, well, Bruce, what about you? I said, oh, well, my ancestry is primarily English and uh, Czech and Scotch-Irish. And they gave me this look of pity. The king was to arrive by helicopter on a Saturday morning around 9 o'clock. College students who usually didn't get out of bed till noon were in the cafeteria when the doors opened at 7 a.m. And many of them were wearing these Norwegian wool sweaters I'd never seen before. Some were carrying small Norwegian flags and some had posters, We love you, Olaf. The population of Decorah, Iowa doubled that day from its normal size of 8,000 to about 16,000. Norwegian farmers from all over northeastern Iowa came to town with their families, and I saw for the first time a very unique men's fashion statement. I saw men in bibbed overalls with white shirts and ties. They were dressed up for the king. The helicopter, we were told, would land right in the middle of... uh, Carlson Stadium, where our beloved team, the Norsemen, of course, played football. And every seat was taken on both the home and the visitor's side. And then it happened. We heard the sound first. That familiar sound of a Huey helicopter as it appeared in the north, coming from the holy city of Minneapolis... And the helicopter was only a speck in the sky, and people began to cheer and shout as if the king could already hear them. And I saw grown men, Norwegian men, who aren't known for showing much emotion, weeping openly. The helicopter touched down, the cheering went on. Uh, Olaf went to the microphone and greeted everyone, first in Norwegian, then in English. And I'm telling you, instead of a Lutheran college, You would have thought it was the Roman Catholic Pope making a visit to a Catholic university. Women with small children stood in line waiting to have King Olaf touch their children. And afterwards, the king departed in a convertible waving to the happy throng. It was announced that he would be going in procession down Main Street that morning. That main street is about half a mile long. So the king's convertible went very slowly, stopping at all four red lights. And then when it got to the end, it made a U-turn and came back down for one more royal wave. That night in the cafeteria, my buddies and I were shocked when we were served steak and baked potatoes instead of the usual college food. And right then and there, we said, that king should come here more often. (laughs) So that Saturday in 1975 was my only first-hand experience with royalty. I might think to myself, until I consider God's word and God's promise and God's declaration. Truth be told, I am surrounded by royalty, 
each and every time I gather here to worship with you. That is, if you believe the Word of God. And I trust that you do. Peter tells you, do you have ears to hear? Peter tells you that you are a royal priesthood. You are royal. Now, is that because of your noble birth? Probably not. But it has everything to do with your rebirth. You have been in Christ, baptized into his death and resurrection. You belong to him, the Lord of lords and King of kings. So it makes no difference. There may be no dukes or duchesses, no princes, no princesses in your family tree. It doesn't matter. You have been made a member of God's royal family. And you are royal because in Christ you are sons and daughters of the king of the universe. As I think back to that visit from Olaf, everyone stood a little taller when he came to town. Everyone wanted to do their best and be their best for the king. And this king was a mere mortal whose worldly authority was really puny compared to that of the Norwegian kings of long ago. But even the lesser, even the lesser royalty of King Olaf made everyone in that little town feel royal themselves for a little while. How much more? How much more should we do our best and seek to be our best as brothers and sisters in God's family adopted into the royal family of the king of the universe? What are you going to be doing tomorrow? What's on your calendar? What challenges are you facing? What trips have you planned? What responsibilities do you bear? When you step out the front door tomorrow morning, and you know what is coming, and there'll be some surprises too. When you step out the door, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. You are royal. The word of God declares it to be true. And the Prince of Peace is your friend, and he is your brother. And this divine prince believes that you are of immeasurable value. So much so that he was willing to leave the throne of heaven and be crowned with thorns to die on a cross in your place. And by his blood you have been cleansed and you have been made holy and royal. Never forget. Never forget your royal status as God's own people. And not only are you royalty but your priests. Now I have to tell you that over the years when I've met with families who are preparing to have a child baptized and I want to make sure they understand completely and fully the responsibilities that are theirs in raising this child in a Christian home, I say to the moms and dads, you know now that you are going to be your son, your daughter's first, first pastors. Oh, no, 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 no. 
I'm not a pastor. I say, well, what's that word mean? Shepherd. What's a shepherd do? Feeds the flock, protects the flock, nurtures the flock, guides the flock. Parents are pastors. And all of you are called priests. Doesn't mean that you're an ordained pastor. But you are priests, ministers of God, who are set apart to be holy as God is holy. Too many Christians mistakenly think that only pastors have a ministry. If you are in Christ, you have a ministry to serve him right where God has planted you. This sanctuary is filled with ministers right now. We have more than three ministers at faith. It's not just Jerry and Carol and Bruce. It's all of you. Each Christian is called to this priesthood. A person set apart by God to be holy in the world, serving Him, glorifying Him, in the world, right where He's placed you, but not of the world. So when you step out that door tomorrow morning, and every morning, remember your status. Claim your royalty, which is of an altogether different kind. As God's royal people, we're set apart to serve, not to be served. We're royal priests, one and all. So how will you serve your king as his royalty in these coming days? How will your behavior, how will your choices, how will your words demonstrate the goodness and the grace of your king. After Olaf left Decor that weekend, folks were still talking about his visit for months. And I know young people have a hard time understanding this, especially those who've grown up with handheld devices where you can take a thousand pictures and delete 999. But back in the day, some of you know this, it was 35 millimeter and you had to go get your hard copies of your photographs developed. Some were lucky enough to have a photograph of themselves with the king, a prized possession to be handed down to future generations. But over time, those Norwegian flags that were everywhere started to disappear. Slowly but surely, all those classmates of mine wearing their Norwegian wool, itchy, scratchy sweaters started wearing their down jackets once again. Every now and then, you could hear down the hallway in the dorm someone playing a vinyl LP by Edward Grieg's music. But eventually, the music started to become Boston, Sticks, Pink Floyd. And people wondered by that spring, will the king ever come again? Will he ever return? Well, our king will return. The king of kings will come back. He's made this promise to us. He'll come again. There's no doubt about it. But between now and then, he wants us to live and serve and love as if he were still in town. For he is. He's among us. Christ is alive, and he's promised us in his word, I'm with you always, even to the end of human history. 
And one day he will come again for all the world to see. And we don't have to worry about seeing a Huey come over the Sandia Mountains to let us know that Jesus is about to return. The whole world will know. The trumpet will sound. The heavens will open and everyone will know. It'll be greater than the arrival of a Norwegian monarch in a northeastern Iowa settlement. When our king comes, the whole world will know. And his royal priests will rejoice and sing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.